Hi, everyone. First, this week, for those of us, including me, who think that social media can be evil, I want to share a study with you from Micah Masaryk at University of Virginia, who looked at how social media did or did not make people with autism happy. Listen, the only time Facebook ever makes me happy, it's when my birthday and people say happy birthday, because of course that feels nice. But other than that, it can make me depressed, frustrated and angry. But how does social media make people with autism feel? Because of their social communication deficits, sometimes people with autism rely on social media to communicate. They don't have to make eye contact. There's no facial cues from whoever they're talking to to misinterpret. And there's not that chit-chat that a lot of people with autism don't understand. Dr. Masaryk and her doctoral student, Deborah Ward, conducted an online survey of about 100 individuals with autism. About 60% of them were male, and most of them had Asperger's. They asked them about their use of social media. First of all, did they use social media? It turns out that about 80% of them did, and most of them use Facebook followed by Twitter. For those of you who use Twitter and Facebook, you know that Facebook involves more reciprocal interactions and reinforces interactions. There also is this element of trust with Facebook as you show your image and you have to actually accept friend requests. So in order to look at how happy social media made people with autism, they added an online survey to measure happiness called the Subjective Happiness Scale. You know, happiness is a hard thing to quantify, so this was at least a good effort. The Social Happiness Scale is a four-item, seven-point scale that measures global subjective happiness, subjective meaning as compared to other people. Higher mean scores indicate greater happiness. For example, one item is, compared with most of my peers, I consider myself, and it goes from less happy to more happy. Much to my shock, there was data out there already that showed that adults without autism, particularly Facebook users, enjoy increased social connections, improved trust, and increased well-being. Well, now there's data that shows that adults with autism also experience the same thing. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not that I'm surprised that those with autism are similar to those without autism, but I'm just surprised that people actually enjoy using Facebook. Adults with autism who use social media reported greater subjective happiness than those who did not use social media. In this study, those that use Facebook the most were happier than those who use Twitter the most. So what do I know? Social media may be a good thing after all. Three other studies came out this week of interest that's meant to give hope to those who are unsure if any biological studies conducted on people with autism are leading to anything helpful. Three separate studies on three different compounds were published, and while none of them are the gold standard randomized clinical trial phase three that the FDA is going to need to see before they approve a drug for treatment, I found it hopeful and inspiring that I'm now starting to see regularly published studies showing preliminary data using some of these biological measures that researchers have been studying. Now, all of these compounds have been approved by the FDA for use in other health issues, and I'll get to that. So what would be needed is approval for the symptoms of autism. Now, why is this a good thing? Well, first, it will entice drug companies to get involved in these studies. And second, it means that more researchers are actually involved in multiple targets and measures of efficacy. It turns out it's not just about whether or not it changes an autism diagnosis anymore, but mostly about how the drug is affecting the brain. For example, this week in the Nature Journal Scientific Reports, a research collaboration between the U.S., Sweden, and France looked at a compound called bumetanide. 
Bumetanide is a diuretic, which means it takes water out of your body and increases the amount of urine you produce. It's used to reduce extra fluid in the body, this is called edema, caused by conditions like heart failure, liver disease, and kidney disease. It can lessen symptoms such as shortness of breath and swelling in arms, legs, and the abdomen. It turns out it also has actions in the brain, specifically that it pulls negative ions into brain cells via something called the GABA receptor. Now, pulling in those negative ions turns cells off or makes them less active. Selectively turning brain cells down, not off, could possibly be beneficial for individuals with autism if there's an imbalance of excitation and inhibition in the brains of people with autism. One theory of autism is that certain areas of the brain are turned on too much, caused in part by not having a traffic signal in place to turn down activity when there is too much going on. In fact, one theory about why individuals with autism avoid eye contact is that the brain circuit, which underlies emotional regulation, is turned on too much. This causes a complete overload and making eye contact completely overwhelming. In some studies, benzodiazepines like Xanax and Valium, which also turn down cell activity, have improved symptoms of autism, and there was a small research study last year that showed that bumetanide improved autism symptoms. But this current research study was not so focused on the conglomeration of symptoms that lead to an autism diagnosis, but the activity in certain brain regions following eye contact. Specifically, they looked at the social brain, the connections between the superior colliculus, which processes visual information, to the thalamus, to then the amygdala, which is the part of the brain which attaches emotions to certain stimuli. This can include attaching fear or anxiety. Now, the question was, is this area turned on too much, and what happens when you turn it down with bumetanide? Can people with autism now tolerate more eye contact? The researchers found, in fact, yes. After 10 months of bumetanide treatment, the activity of the amygdala was turned down and individuals with autism looked at the eyes more. They also looked at whether or not this was because people treated with bumetanide could see differently, and in fact, it doesn't affect visual processing. Also taken together with improvement of symptoms of autism, even in those smaller studies, this makes it a promising pharmacological intervention. A different drug, but still one that works on the GABA receptor that's received a lot of attention is simvastatin. If you recognize it, some of you might actually be taking it. It's one of these statin-type drugs that is used to treat high cholesterol. About 50 million people in the U.S. take one of the statins. Besides its ability to change cholesterol, it might be able to modulate a pathway called the RAS or RAS-MPK pathway. I'll save you the gory details about RAS and RAS-MPK, but what's important is that in animal models, alterations of this RAS pathway have led to changes in dendritic spine density that's been so important for autism. In fact, this week, there was a summary and opinion paper about the importance of these dendritic spines and their pruning, which means their ability to expand or retract, in diseases like schizophrenia and also autism. People with autism seem to have too many dendritic spines on neurons in their brain, which may contribute to why cells are turned on too much. All of these points of contact are just overwhelming. Plus, they also change the activity and connectivity of other brain areas. When this was discovered years and years ago, there was a mad rush to understand compounds that can safely change RAS activity and also normalize dendritic spine density. But really not much is known, one, if statin drugs then change behavior, and two, if statin drugs alter RAS activity in humans. Most of the work so far has been done in animal models. 
A study last year, though, showed that simvastatin plus risperidone reduced irritability in kids with autism. So, in fact, it has been used in kids with autism. This is an important effect, but it doesn't really say anything about the autism itself, and it doesn't say anything about the biology. Probably one problem is that the causes of autism are so many and so diverse, and researchers really need to narrow down a particular cause or one particular genetic mutation that causes the autism so they can look specifically at that group of people. So researchers conducted a study looking at autism in kids with a known cause. It's called neurofibromatosis. About 20% of individuals with neurofibromatosis also have an autism diagnosis. The goal of this study then was not to see if it changed autism symptoms, but to see if simvastatin treatment altered RAS activity, which in, again in animal models of neurofibromatosis is associated with dendritic spine changes as well as improvement of social behaviors. They did this in kids with neurofibromatosis using, of course, non-invasive brain imaging measures. The researchers did find that simvastatin improved symptoms in about 25% of people. Doesn't seem like a lot, but it's 25% compared to 0% on the control drug. It activated the RAS pathway in blood, and it also increased levels of GABA in the brain measured again by neuroimaging. This indicates that it was also working on the GABA receptor. Because it's the largest study so far in children, it did show that simvastatins could be given to younger children and those with autism, and that biologically it's doing what it's supposed to be doing in terms of adjusting structural features in brain cells. Finally, while it's not a primary research paper, a review of 16 research studies looked at propranolol, not for the core symptoms of autism, but for things like aggression, anxiety, and cognitive performance in adolescents and adults with autism. Propranolol is a beta blocker. It blocks beta adrenergic receptors in the brain. Adrenergic receptors stimulate heart rate and increase blood pressure, so it makes sense that blocking them would help. It's used to treat high blood pressure, irregular heartbeats, shaking, tremors, and other conditions. It's typically used right after a heart attack to improve the chances of survival. It's also used to prevent migraine headaches and chest pain. ASF is actually funding a study to look at whether propranolol will enhance the effects of behavioral interventions in children. It has been shown to modulate the activity of the frontal cortex of the brain, which is associated with autism, as well as cognition and executive function. In all, the review showed that while it's promising, there's still little evidence that it helps the core symptoms of autism, but there's more evidence to show that it should be able to treat emotional dysregulation in kids with autism. By the way, just because it doesn't change the core features of autism doesn't mean that it's negligible. That's no small thing for people with autism who suffer from emotional dysregulation. And this study shows that it works in people with autism. We can't always assume that something that works in people without autism is going to work the same way in people with autism. Thank you so much for listening this week. I really hope that you've been able to now appreciate some of these biological markers and studies of treatment targets, because sometimes the newest intervention can come from the places you wouldn't expect.